Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. I'm joined with a special co-host today by Morgan O'Brien, who is a legendary figure in telecommunications, and he is going to be with me questioning Jonathan Van, who is an expert on cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and all those things which I do not understand. And Morgan tells me he does not understand. Uh, so we're going to learn together. Morgan is famous for many things, not the least of which is basically making the cell phone possible as one of the co-founders of Nextel, a pioneering company in cell phones. Welcome, Morgan, to the broadcast. And Jonathan Van, welcome to the broadcast. You come to us from Texas, and what is the name of your organization? Uh, Element 8, we're a fixed wireless ISP. And um, it, you are in Dallas most of the time, but you're actually coming to us from Austin today. And you are the creative vice president of Element 8, and that is Element and then the numeral 8. Jonathan, why are people like myself and Morgan, who's very brilliant, uh, confused by all the things we see and hear and read about Bitcoin. I was doing a little bit of research and I find it's not just Bitcoin, it's all kinds of other cryptocurrencies, including Tezos, EOS, and Zcash. None of those I had heard of before. So give us a quick rundown on what cryptocurrencies are, how they work, and we'll interrupt you frequently with questions. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I think I can start by saying every generation has technologies that roll out naturally. So an example is I wasn't born with an iPhone in my hand, so I don't necessarily understand people who are 13 right now. That was not the world I grew up in. I don't record 15-second TikTok videos like it's just a habit. And so I use that as an example because when I grew up, I started getting AOL. I got dial-up. I understood peer-to-peer. -peer. I kind of grew up with Napster, LimeWire, and different kinds of elements. Um, and that was my consumer internet experience. And in this world where Bitcoin launched post-2008 uh, after the GFC, um, I can understand why people who weren't born in that generation or grew up with it natively, it's hard to grok or understand because you don't see the use cases. So the way I think about it is when, uh, when I'm looking for trends or technologies, especially ones that affect consumer behavior, I just ask what the 12 to 18 year olds think about what, 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 their fr what the front page of their iPhone looks like, um, what apps do they use, and, and Bitcoin and crypto is all the rage. And so um, if you look, it started with Bitcoin and the original white paper, which is really simple, actually. It's a foundational piece. I think going forward, it will be a, a textual piece like mythology. Um, and it, it is math and fixed supply and kind of the, the sound money theory, but just put into computation and protocols. And it, when the internet was founded, and y'all know more about this than I do, you built a lot of it, um, there wasn't really native money. The internet of money didn't exist. It was 
we, we had to solve connectivity, then security, which was, um, you know, HTTPS, um, different protocols, but there was never really a money layer. So even today we have Visa, MasterCard as really the toll roads of the internet, um, but Bitcoin and the, the permutations of it represent in a global decentralized rail system for different permutations of that. But Bitcoin as the original store of value, um, let me uh, let me let me interrupt you. First, I forgot to mention that uh, Morgan Brown is now executive chairman of Anterex, which is a very exciting company seeking to bring high-speed communications to the electric utility industries and other critical uh, undertakings using private networks. So he's not out of the communications business by any means. Uh, when we come to these cryptocurrencies, how are they valued uh, with a fiat currency, which is, you know, pound, shillings and pence, or when well, it's not pound, shillings and pence anymore, but sterling or uh, the dollar or the yen. These are actual currencies that are backed by the governments that issue them. They were once backed by gold. Now they're backed by the governments which issue them. Who backs cryptocurrency? Where does it get its value. So I think it's important to stipulate different kinds of cryptocurrency. Bitcoin in itself is almost its own property. And even the way it's governed by every country, even the US, it's treated differently than Ethereum, Zcash, and the other permutations because it's regulated as property. Um, it's, it's, it's recognized almost as a currency versus something to speculate on. Um, and, and in that way, um, Bitcoin is backed by its protocol saying the, the simple thing for the layman is there's, there's only ever 21 million that will be circulated in supply. It has a very uh, specific and transparent calculation that occurs on when it quote unquote halves as it gets to the 21 million supply mark. And so what I tell people, including my mom even, um, when the whole world's changing in 2020, we see people moving to different cities, we see economies changing, we see uh, our central banks printing a lot of money. The thing, when I invest in Bitcoin and when people invest in Bitcoin, it's almost investing in something that you know will not change because the code says so. Um, and so, and we, and if you're te technological, you program things and written code that can execute flawlessly but it may, so flawlessly, it may not even do the thing you intended to do, but it'll do exactly what you told it to do. And in that way, um, Bitcoin itself is one of those things that's transparent, it's programmed, and it's not something that changes. Well, it, it's opaque to me, but Morgan, come on in and ask your questions. Yes. Okay, so, Jonathan, people of my generation say to me, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, scam, bubble, whatever, uh, Ponzi. I am attempting through conversations like this to be able to intelligently counter that. But one of the stumbling blocks I find, and maybe others also, while Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are virtual, yet we read about mining them, the expense of mining these 
digital currencies and the fact that that mining uses a tremendous amount of power. So I say to myself, wait a minute, virtual mining, how does that work? Maybe this is a scam. So I'm looking here for you to say, no, 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 no. Let me clear this up for you and the other strugglers. Sure, no problem. From my perspective, um, these, these mining rigs are essentially um, GPU-based computers, and they're running algorithms to um, handle proof of work, which is what Bitcoin is based on. It's a cryptographic system that's solved. And I know that that's what, now I always think, like, I'm going on the deep end. But what's interesting is, on a high level, it's the ability to turn electricity into security and what's the value of a decentralized, secure database. And so when, you, when people talk about mining them, um, either at oil rigs or in data centers or what do you, please. All right, so therefore, therefore, is it a true statement that without blockchain, there is no cryptocurrency or Bitcoin because blockchain is an essential element of creating that scarcity value, that sustainable scarcity value that makes cryptocurrency a hedge against inflationary uh, 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 habits of central banks. I would almost flip it. I think Bitcoin makes blockchain valuable because the while people look at the technological side of it, and you know, I think the the common response would be it's a it's a database. Like what? Like they're way faster, way more centralized versions of this that work better. But Bitcoin itself was an incentive system overlaid on the to secure the network. And I think that's actually the the use case that makes it valuable. That it said for security, we will take back programmability. We'll take back mutability, editability. But our goal is to make the most secure database in the world and the most transparent. So everything you can see, that's why. Um, and then there's different permutations of that. So whether that's the Ethereum blockchain, as you get into other cryptocurrencies, it's the currency and the trade-offs make the database valuable. And it's it basically, to, to me, is a, is a layer on top of open source software. But if I blockchain, if I'm a blockchainer, I mm -hmm. can earn a Bitcoin as I understand it, or a fraction of a Bitcoin. Yeah, right? uh, I don't I don't know if that would be the term. If you're a miner, right? If you're a miner, a miner. okay. Miners, you're, you're a mining rig is like a just a computer, honestly, um, that is just running all the time, uh, computing uh, the out, just like running the protocol. And so that provides you They'll, they'll reward you in Bitcoin. Okay, but that's not a, but that is not virtual or imaginary. That's nope. real. Very that's real. And that, re that requires resources, power. Very. Uh, so, so an investment. So yeah. when you say that there's no, quote, value behind Bitcoin, that's a bit of an oversimplification if mining is what I understand it to be. That's right. So similar to the way we think about cloud computing, does it mean our, because we don't see the servers and the compute and the storage that doesn't exist? It's not true. We know somewhere out 
there. There's a big data center, whether it's run by Amazon, Facebook, et cetera, that has the compute power that we're accessing. Similar to the Bitcoin network, there are nodes out there and data and literally data centers that are right next to some of the largest data centralized data centers out there doing the work, running the program and running the protocol uh, to mine these Bitcoin and secure that network. Uh, because inflation is top of every mind right now, can you go back again and explain why uh, Bitcoin as one of its advantages has this uh, sort of non-inflationary reality versus any of the so-called fiat currencies, which are supposedly real. So Satoshi Nakamoto, who's the pseudonymous writer of the Bitcoin white paper, wrote it in response to the 2008 crisis and central banking better and the central banking issues then. And so it was a, a programmable sound money protocol. It said, no matter what, this is the way it's going to be issued. This is the way it's going to be circulated. And there will only be 21 million Bitcoin ever, ever issued in the system. And the way it's the way it's ha it has a have, having schedule based on the way it's computed and secured over time. So right now, I think we're at 18 million Bitcoin, and then it halves and halves and halves. You never really get to 21 million, but the supply is fixed and programmed into the system, and nobody changes. Bitcoin. Uh, Morgan mentioned inflation. Um, gold is a hedge against inflation, but it goes up in value. Uh, a Bitcoin, you said, is stable. If it's stable, does it go up in value? Uh, well, I didn't. Um, uh, can you buy something at its inflated price, or do you have to buy it at its pre inflation price? Supposing a, a, some goods cost a million dollars and you buy them with bitcoin but when you but in fact uh, inflation has eroded that million dollars so you have to pay more uh, will the bitcoin uh, adjust will it lose value to reflect inflation and then whose inflation will it reflect the inflation in argentina the inflation here or the inflation in paris sure i think the the biggest thing that when I say it, it doesn't inflate is the supply itself is fixed. So whether people value it and the demand of it, I say we're in the early stages. I think when you get to a point where everyone has a wallet, it becomes a store of value like gold, then you start seeing more stability. So you can use it almost as a payment mechanism versus what it is today, which is mostly a speculative asset. And so I think we've seen over the past 10 years since inception that it it, it in fact is uh, something that people regretted transacting often. So this pizza hyperinflated in value from uh, you know 200 Bitcoin, which is <laughs> probably the most expensive pizza in history, as an example. All right. So um, if you if you right today want to buy one Bitcoin, one Bitcoin out of the potential of 21 million, but the reality of 18 million. That Bitcoin can be acquired through various brokers, et cetera, et cetera. It is real to that extent. And the price of it is 100% dependent on what the market is feeling like today about the value, just like a stock. That's right. So it doesn't have anything to do with the underlying, really. No. 
But yes, what I tell people is Bitcoin is Bitcoin. It's a program that runs and people have defined it several ways over the past decade to fit the narrative it is at that given time. Is it still in the 60,000 range? I think it's 57,000 okay. as of this morning. Okay, so so do you think there's an equal chance that a year from today, if we had another one of these programs, it would be at 5,700 or 570,000? What's the 10 to one potential up or down of Bitcoin? So the the equivalent, I would say, is can it overtake gold as the first hurdle, which it is very close to. So I think gold is a $2 trillion asset. Bitcoin to today is hovering in the $1 trillion range. And so you're, is it a replacement for gold? And if you ask people who are sub 30, maybe sub 25, they're not buying gold unless someone told them to buy gold. They'll buy Bitcoin as an example. As the, the, the modeling and the narrative today is it's digital gold. Um, the 10X version is, does it replace, um, is the TAM central bank fee currency as a store of value? Um, that okay, is so, five. So I, hope you're, I hope you're lucky enough to still have a grandparent, but if a, grand, a grandparent of yours said, uh, should there be Bitcoin in my portfolio? Would you say, no, that'd be crazy for you, you're old. Or, or would you say every intelligent investor needs now to have this new asset class i would say everyone needs one percent i call it i consider it schmuck insurance um <laughs> this is zero it's it's what it was it's a, it was a it was a it was a bet for one percent of your portfolio i think people are learning over time that it can replace the traditional assets they have but if, if my grandma asked i mean my real answer would be i think you're okay regardless whether you have it or not it's not going to appreciate enough if it was one percent um, to make a difference in your life but um, for everyone i know that i'm that's on the edge i say just put one percent in schmuck insurance I, I actually joke similar like i have a little bit of dogecoin in my in my wallet and i say I, i'm just buying into the conversation i'm just buying into the culture um some of them are assets some of them are really just conversation pieces on the internet Okay, so I had, a, I had the reason that I started um, inquiring of uh, both Llewellyn and his charming wife, Linda, uh, what they know about cryptocurrency was that kind of the smartest investor I know said to me, if you're not three to 5% of cryptocurrency, you are seriously misguided. And I, and, I, and I said, I wonder how many people that are in the listening audience, Llewellyn, uh, still are of the, you know, it's a scam, it's a bubble, it's a Ponzi. And therefore, they're not putting it in their uh, portfolio, much less in their digital wallet, because nobody that I know has a digital wallet. My confusion now is, what is the relationship between blockchain and cryptocurrency? Uh, the individual buying cryptocurrency doesn't have to do the proof of work uh, calculation, but somebody has to do it. But where does the blockchain calculation fit in? So, so to be clear, it's the Bitcoin calculation. The blockchain itself is just an open database. And in regards to power, I actually learned a stat yesterday where Bitcoin mining is actually the number two user of energy in Texas. The Bitcoin mining can actually smooth out 
um, the demand curve. So when they don't necessarily want to send that power from this source, it can be used to mine and regulate it to reduce the loss of transmission, depending on- In other words, it's interruptible. Yes. It's interruptible power, which is something that's very important to the utility industry as it goes forward. And Morgan's company, Enterix, uh, is a data-moving company that can assist them with that. Morgan. All right, so let me ask this question, Jonathan. If, uh, if your phone rang and it was President Biden saying, he's thinking about making you the head of the Federal Reserve, and he said, but I need to know what your position is on cryptocurrency. Good, bad, threat to Western civilization. What, 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 how scary is it and how much regulation will be necessary? Uh, or should it just be, let it go? I believe that the short answer is let it go. Let the top innovators in the United States are flocking into it and it's unlocking the frontiers of the consumer internet. On a, on a monetary basis, if I was interested in uh, keeping power, keeping um, the status quo, I would say, yes, we need to regulate it hard. And you can just look at what China's done to the mining industry, the, uh, or the, the specifically Bitcoin mining industry and the cryptocurrency industry. Um, namely, namely they've, bought, they've made it illegal. Exactly, exactly. But what that's done is that's actually flocked some of the smartest engineers, the smartest entrepreneurs I know. And when I, when the thing that helps me sniff, pass the sniff test for most technologies is who are the smartest people? What are the smartest people working on on the weekends? What do they do in their spare time? We saw it with compute, personal computers. We saw it with software. Um, we saw it with the internet. Um, and so what it is today can be very different from what it is five years from now. Well, how versatile is it today? If I had some Bitcoin in my wallet, if I had anything in my wallet, uh, could I go out and buy uh, something today? Could I go, say, to uh, a chain store and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to be paying in Bitcoin or uh, Zcash or whatever it is? I think the, the, the easiest use case is always to try and see what the the comparison is so the, you if you're your own bank you can move money around from your from these from two to three accounts say in five minutes sometimes if i need to wire a friend say twenty five thousand dollars i might need to go to the bank or call someone just because it's over a certain limit it doesn't necessarily meet the criteria usually those small edge use cases will say oh i understand i can scan their address and send them any amount of money that's a, that's a very small use case, but an easy use case for consumers to understand. Or an example would be international wires. So the use cases um, go from not necessarily payments. I actually think the consumer payment, I love my credit card. I have no problem with it. You got to start with the things that are actually difficult to do. So if I need to move 50,000, I'm traveling or need to move it to a relative in Argentina, how would I do that? Who do I wire? Do I go to Western Mutual or where do I go? Um, those are the simple use cases. But on a on a more broad basis, besides Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, the most powerful thing is that they are programmable contracts. So they can almost start automating. They can automate finance. They can automate your internet life 
in a way. So things that we do today that are contracts that we sign and we may go into a, a court of law to uh, arbitrate and handle, these programmable contracts begin to change how both humans interact with things, but more importantly, how computers can start interacting with things even without us being there. Since there's no underlying value to the a particular cryptocurrency, is there the potential of an infinite supply, thus cratering the value of anything that had a value based on scarcity up until that point? What's that risk? And does that suggest regulation might be necessary for the good of cryptocurrency as opposed to the good of central government? Sure. So similar to public companies, I had a friend recently take over as CEO for one of the projects. It's a very small one. It doesn't do 100 million revenue, as an example, but it's run as if it were a public company. It's beholden to the people in the chat rooms and everything like that. So I think the difference is the level of transparency that's given. Um, say, say you have an infinite supplier, someone wants to do that. You can actually see those things happening on the programming that's that's pushed out and delivered itself. Most programs have something they call tokenomics written in. So an example is Ethereum recently started burning tokens. So they actually reduce the supply and that's on a programmable basis, not a not something that, and that's something that the community voted on. That's not something that one person just said, this is gonna go to infinity. However, things like Dogecoin, things like Shiba Inu, those in fact do have infinite supply. They they and they don't make any qualms about it. They say so, but people are okay with that. <laughs> so, but 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 people are okay with it today. Mm -hmm. But tomorrow they could say, "Oh, infinite supply, no real value." I'm moving over to one of the ones in which they have agreed, although it's just like a promise, right? I mean, no, it's it's programmed in for the vote. Okay. When you own a token, you act, it's similar to a voting share. You have a right to the governance. And so I think of every gotcha, gotcha. token. Yeah. So I think of every token and ecosystem almost like a live running economic experiment. You can run, what does it look like when we have this much power or everyone has one vote or we have super majority votes? You can actually run all these experiments at once. Um, they're just they're just literally happening right now. And I'm I'm in probably 20 discords across 20 projects just trying to understand how they think about governance, how they think about um, their tokenomics or the economics of their small digital nation. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because, so, so if you listen to Vitalik, he's the founder of Ethereum. He is actually very well versed in economics, philosophy. Um, he's almost like an anthropologist thinking about how people react. It has a lot more to do with like, like legitimacy than it does hard power of, I can change a button and this is the program for everyone. You in fact have to govern so that everyone in the community votes to get something productive done. That's our show for today. Uh, if you want to buy some King coin, just send me a check, but I can't promise it has any intrinsic value whatsoever. Cheers. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are.